What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemchak here, alongside Stephen Trinkwald. We are making our triumphant return, and uh, after a, a somewhat lengthy break, at least from our standards, and uh, we're going to dive into some 2022 WNBA content. Stephen, this is this is the first time we've talked about uh, the WNBA since the season has started, correct? Yeah, this is our first episode since the season started. Pretty exciting. Um, got a, a lot built up. Uh, had a lot of outdated lot. notes, but hey, we'll, we'll get into it here. Yeah, so we are doing something today that we've done a few times previously. It's a fun little exercise. We are um, we're discussing all twelve teams, and we're giving ourselves five minutes per team. So we're gonna we're gonna challenge ourselves to talk for exactly five minutes on each WNBA team, and basically just give our thoughts on where they're at so far. Uh, I think this is actually a good point, Stephen. In the season, I think we've got enough to work with for each team here. So uh, I mean, we'll we'll see <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But um, are you ready to go? Yeah, let's get into it. Let's start with the Atlanta Dream. You can uh, start the timing here, All right, Eric. Here we go. Uh, the Dream are five and three. They are eleventh in offense, but currently spotting the best defense in the WNBA. Eric, how are they doing it? Well, you know, I think it's it's, it's funny, Stephen. One of our questions uh, when we were talking about the Dream preseason was, are they going to have a better offense or a better defense? It's pretty clearly been a better defense. You know, um, I think they've been really good at uh, keeping opponents out of the paint or away from the rim, I should say, and very, very good uh, defensive rebounding as well. Yeah, that's right. So they are uh, giving up a ton of threes as well, but opponents are only shooting 30% from three, which is like the 11th highest mark. And they're also shooting 75% from the line. So a little bit of shooting luck, but I think a lot of this, you know, outside of the shooting luck is still real. Like opponents are shooting overall 40% from two point range, which I think is something you can control a little bit more than the overall three point shooting. And this dream defense is one of two teams in the WNBA forcing teams to take more non paint twos than shots at the restricted area. So they have a lot of defensive talent and those defensive players are allowing, I think some of their less heralded defensive players, let's say, to to shine as well because, you know, there's just sort of less mistakes being made. And when there are mistakes being made, like really, really good players to kind of clean that stuff up. Really, really good players. Okay, I think uh, in our in our short amount of time here, we need to talk about Ryan Howard. Uh, she's a really, really good player. I would say the favorite for Rookie of the Year right now. She came on the scene, Stephen, and it mm. looked like she was all-star caliber right out of the box. Yeah, I think, you know, there's definitely a lot to be really, really encouraged about Ryan Howard. She looks, I mean, for better or worse, perhaps, she looks like the exact player we probably thought she would coming out of college, right? She's shooting the heck out of the ball from three. She's making plays in the pick and roll. She's pulling up from three out of the pick and roll, and she's having a hard time scoring effectively from two. You know, she has a couple moves in her bag. Uh, The turnaround we've seen a few times um, over the uh left shoulder um but you know she's not really getting all the way to the rim she's uh limited volume i would say in the restricted area and her attempts in the restricted area are largely coming from transition or coming on movement away from the basketball you know she's not kind of starting from the perimeter with her dribble and getting all the way to the rim which uh, i think was a concern but what what have you liked so far about what we've seen from howard I mean, I think Ryan Howard is one of those players who can impose herself either physically or skill-wise. You know, she's got the pro-level body. I mean, she's a six foot one, six foot two wing. That's those don't grow on trees, right? But she's also already, I think, shown herself to be a pretty good playmaker, which I think is something we expected. And just the ability to, you know, I, one one thing I go back to was their their recent uh, blowout win over Phoenix. Like when she'd get the switch, she would punish the switch. And that's another thing I think is really important for yeah, pulling up on Tina Charles from three in the pick and roll. Yes, that is the exact play that comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Another player I think you wanted to talk about real quick was Nia Coffey. Um, Having a really good season, you know, not not a lot of the numbers are jumping out, but uh, seems like a great fit here. Yeah, I think, I mean, the offense is going to have to come around. It's been a little bit of a struggle for Coffey, but like... Coffee and Howard, like having these two, you know, nominally floor spacing kind of bigger wings, you know, that they're smaller in terms of as a bigs, but they're, they're big wings who can provide like supplemental rim protection as non-centers. You know, if, if Coffee can find an, a rhythm offensively, you know, it just makes things so much easier and help defense. And because those, both of those players can defend with verticality and, and make it hard for you to score at the rim and Coffee for a player who is, you know, undersized as a four, like is such a great box out player. Like there are a lot of kind of like smaller players who can get individual 
rebounding numbers, but like Coffey gets those rebounds and also is a great, great box out player when she's not securing the rebound. So, you know, again, the shooting is going to have to come around, but those two players playing together, I think really kind of opens up, you know, the versatility of kind of the different lineups that you can throw out there. One thing before we run out of time real quick, they are only 11th in offense, scoring 93.2 points per 100 possessions. They're dead last in both assist rate and turnover rate. So for as nice of a surprise as the dream have been so far, I think uh, both those figures need to improve if they're really going to sustain this level of success. Yeah, and one stat on that before we move on. Uh, Ryan Howard and Ari McDonald, 40% shooting on 79 three-point attempts. Rest of team, 30% shooting on 79 three-point attempts so far this season. So uh, the rest of team has been a real struggle from outside the arc. Oh, that was so good. All right, let me uh, let me restart the timer here, and we can move on to the Chicago Sky. Let's go. Okay, four and three. Sixth in offense, sixth in defense. How you feeling, Eric? You know, I can't help but say I'm a little disappointed right now. Um, you know, I, I figured they had some some absences, some significant absences to start the season with both Kalea Copper and Ellie Quigley missing time. But, you know, the first things first in this team, they look kind of old to me. You know, it, it seems like just recently we were talking about them being, you know, with, with the Shields and Copper and Gabby Williams. Oh, they're such an athletic team. Now, I wouldn't say they're a very athletic team. I think Candace Parker has maybe kind of lost a step on defense. It really seems apparent when they're facing very athletic front courts. Like, they got walloped by Asia Wilson and Dierica Hamby the other day. Um, they got walloped by Ezzie Magbiger when they played against Seattle. They like to play this this aggressive, you know, hard-hedging, hard-showing style of pick-and-roll defense, which I think works against less dynamic offenses, but against teams that can move the ball well, I think it's kind of prone to backside miscommunication. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think in some ways the backcourt has looked pretty old as well. Uh, I think I may be less concerned about Parker than you are. You know, she probably has lost a step defensively, but I think she's she's had some really great moments as well. She can make up for it, at least with her, her cerebral approach to the game. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, uh, and then just kind of like the rest of their front court defense. You know, Azra Stevens, I think, looks more mobile than last year, but overall, just she like does. the Stevens... Misa Main, Ruthie Hebert, like none of those players are really, you know, doing much for you defensively, frankly. I mean, Stevens, Stevens definitely has her moments and her strengths and her weaknesses, but, you know, Misa Min and, and Hebert, I think, um, are not necessarily good defensive players, quite frankly. I think Misa Min is a great offensive player and, and has been, you know, a positive impact player on this team, but um, another player that isn't necessarily kind of checking the athleticism box for you either. Yeah, definitely. Um, not a surprise there are first in the league in assist rate, um, but I think that, that also kind of speaks to a weakness in that they don't really have a lot of players who can get their own shot. Their best athlete is obviously Kalia Copper. She's only ranking in the 25th percentile in half-court offense right now. She's only shooting 36.4% on half-court rim attempts, uncharacteristic of her. And, uh, you know, some of this is, you know, shooting luck. Uh, they went 5 for 31 from three-point against Vegas the other day. So uh, right now they are... Pretty with some pretty clean looks, too, I would say. With some good looks, yeah. They, they were just not, not, not knocking them down. Um, but they are leading the WNBA in two-point scoring, thanks to high efficiency on cuts and post-ups. Uh, they rank first in both areas. How do you assess that? Is that surprising? Is that not surprising? Uh, I would say that's not surprising because of, like you said, sort of the, the great passing they have on this team, which uh, is a, a positive and a negative in the ways you kind of outlined. But... They, they have really good kind of like system scores. You know, Quigley is that way. Misa Min is definitely a player who's, as we've talked about, at length, an elite play finisher. Parker's offense can kind of come and go at times. But uh, I'm, I am surprised a little bit that they are number one in two-point scoring. But yeah, I am feeling kind of just okay about the sky so far. Just okay. Um, yeah. But I think one thing we have to talk about uh, before we run out of time here is Rebecca Gardner. Yeah, Rebecca Gardner has been really, really good. She's almost been the player who you were hoping this guy could get in free agency. I mean, they obviously did get her in free agency, but she's got really, really long arms. She's very active on defense. She's got quick hands. She's got a really quick first step. She's just, you know, you talk about athleticism. She's maybe not the best world-class athlete in the WNBA, but I'd say she's above average. And she can do things on, on both ends of the ball, right? Yeah, sort of, you know, definitely doesn't have the the three-point jump shot probably, but sort of filling the role that we were hoping Crystal Bradford would um Feel yeah, for this, yeah, yeah. You know, a little bit more probably of like a 2-3 than a 3-4 like Bradford. But, I mean, her first step is just incredible. Like, she can get by just about anybody. You know, the jump shot is not 
necessarily smooth, a little bit hitchy. You know, she looks more comfortable, I would say, from long two than three. Yeah, it it is pretty flat. But yeah, some much needed length and athleticism on the perimeter when they want to go with a little bit more defensive specialist. They haven't really had that kind of second defensive wing in a while to go along with Copper and, and sort of, you know, defense only possessions. And I think Gardner can definitely be that and provide the second unit with a little bit more um, punch offensively. Also speaking of second unit, I think the the breakout of, of Dana Evans is, is noticeable. Um, she's still obviously small, no two ways about it. She seems to not get all the way to the rim, but take a lot of floaters that she's been missing. But Mark Schindler, shout out to Mark. He uh, emphasized this. A lot of double drag action and transition, getting her open for those wide open three-point looks. And she's shooting the lights out of the ball too. Yeah, which you know she can do. Okay, let me uh, let me quick dismiss the timer here, restart, and move on to the Connecticut Sun. Okay, they are 6-2. and two. They are second in offense and second in defense. And unfortunately, I think we have to start with Jasmine Thomas tearing her ACL. She will, of course, be done for the remainder of the season. Uh, my question to you, Eric, is does this remove them from serious championship contention this season? So you might have some different thoughts on this, but I don't think so because... Obviously, Jasmine Thomas's main strength is a point of attack defender. I think they have enough defense still with Bonner, with Thomas, or Alyssa Thomas, that is, with the Joneses. I think they have enough defense. It's the offense which I think is going to need to kind of find itself. Of course, second in offense again, but how much of that is coming from offensive rebounding? We saw this movie last season. Yeah, and I, I do think they kind of have the pieces if they wanted to to play a pretty balanced, you know, it would be kind of a limited defensive backcourt with Anderson and Heidemann or Heidemann and Williams or Anderson and Williams but you know just knowing Kurt Miller and and what he trusts and he doesn't trust like I I just feel like this you know we're gonna see like an Alyssa Thomas at the point guard closing five with Dewana Bonner and Jonquil Jones and Bree Jones and like you're just not gonna have enough offense with that lineup like yeah they're they're gonna crush people during the regular season still like they're gonna continue to just like crush bad teams or win against a, a a Mystics team without Elena Deladon, like those incomplete teams. Like I, I have almost no doubt that this team is going to continue to just be like roll through the regular season. But I mean, they're propelling themselves on 45% offensive rebound rate. And I think as we saw last year, like that's just not really going to carry over against a disciplined, prepared playoff team when, when you get up against the best teams and they're really kind of doing their scouting and, and playing, you know, playoff lineups essentially. So just to be clear, so would you be a proponent of, of Natisha Heidemann playing like 30 minutes a game here on out? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I wish she played more last year. Like they just need like offensive, like a dynamic offensive player who can put up seven threes per 36 minutes and hit threes in kind of like non-standstill fashion. Like she just, or just has... hope Courtney Williams would take more threes. Yeah, I mean, that would be great as That's well. not um, going to happen, I don't think. You know, but I just don't think Miller is going to trust Heidemann to close games defensively. You know, it's it's always kind of leaning more defense than offense with Kurt Miller and, and this specific group of players. So, yeah, I think, you know, if you kind of pulled the right strings and, and you trusted Yvonne Anderson, who I think has been really good and, and really promising and kind of did a lot of the things we sort of wanted her to do and played her alongside Natisha Heidemann and you know, maybe Courtney Williams is more of sort of a, a bench scorer. Um, I, you know, I just don't think Williams can really be part of a kind of a, a competent high level offense and against the best teams because she's just going to shoot you out of it most of the time. But Miller kind of trusts who he trusts, right? Well, he trusts Alyssa Thomas, and there's good reason for that. She is back. She looks healthy. I would say she's playing some of the best basketball of her career, even co- after coming back from that Achilles injury. Yeah, I mean, she's been awesome. Probably so far her best season, I would say. Getting out in transition, 25 transition possessions already. She's in the 83rd percentile as a roller. She's having a career season in true shooting, like her most efficient offensive season, uh, despite, you know, the free throw shooting still not being there. Um, And she's just been a monster defensively. Like this is the kind of Alyssa Thomas that was missed in terms of forcing turnovers on the perimeter from one of their big spots and kind of turning that into transition looks, uh, which, you know, this team kind of played a very specific style last year in the absence of that. And they're able to to kind of do things a little bit differently this year. And talking about that half court offense and its deficiencies, which we've been ragging on forever and we probably will continue. uh, They need to force turnovers in order to field a competent offense. And Alyssa Thomas is such a huge part of that. You can say like, okay, we're starting the Joneses, John Quell and Brianna, and we're just not allowing any, paint opportunities, but you may be not forcing as many turnovers with Alyssa Thomas off the floor, right? I mean, Bree Jones, you know, she can definitely force some turnovers. Uh, 
but it's she's got quick hands. Yeah, sure. she does have quick hands, and obviously John Quill Jones is going to have like monster block numbers and stuff like that. But it's just a different animal with Alyssa Thomas. You know, she'll she'll do things a lot differently and hedge out harder and dig down a little bit uh, quicker on you know post ups against centers and stuff like that. Um, but we should mention. Bree Jones, if we still have time here, who has just... 18 seconds. All right. Well, she's been really good. <laughs> she's been really good. 100th percentile on post-ups, 0th percentile on putbacks. That's kind of a funky number. Okay. I'm resetting the timer. We're going to talk about the Dallas Wings now. All right. Dallas, they are 5-3, and three, third in offense, uh, slightly negative net rating because they're seventh in defense. And they're only, you know, they're third in offense despite being eighth in effective field goal percentage and being pretty average in terms of taking care of the ball. You know, they're not elite getting to the line but third in offensive rebounding and and first in free throw shooting percentage so they're kind of scraping together this third in offense despite you know some i guess uh up and down play from their sort of perimeter stars well i think uh, marina mabry has at least been much more up than she has been down she struggled the last game against connecticut but uh, according to across the timeline shout out to curtis zimmerman uh she's second to only sylvia fowles in both true shooting and effective focal percentage among players who shot the ball more than 10 times per game. For a guard, that's really freaking good. Um, it seems like Vicki Johnson is finally trusting her. She's playing 25 minutes a game as their starting lead guard, and I think I like it. Yeah, I definitely like it. I mean, I've been kind of waiting for this for a while. She's far and away, I think, the best player of their kind of options to start point guard, even if she's not a traditional point guard. And you know, this is your best players, right? Yeah, exactly. Play your best players. And this is, I think what happens when, and her shooting is going to come down to earth a little bit, right? She's 45% uh, or, or above that from three point range. And as you were saying, she's second in true shooting, despite shooting below 70% from the free throw line, just to kind of show you how hot she's shooting from three and from the mid range as well. But you know, this is kind of what you can do when you shoot those tough shots as threes instead of twos like even if you're not making every single one of them when they are behind that little arcing line they count for a whole extra point when they go in and marina mabry is shooting just about half of her shots from three and you know they're not all catch and shoot looks like she's just about even splits in terms of catch and shoots and jump shots off the dribble like she's self-creating a lot of these and and you just wish more guards would kind of play with um you know pulling up from three in mind instead of from two she is just a sh- uh, tough shot maker. I-, I think the one thing we really need to talk about with the Wings, though, is their rotation. Um, some interesting... This is something we wanted to watch for, right, heading into the season. Some definitive, re- really deciding uh, minutes uh, averages here. Isabel Harrison, almost 26 minutes a game. Kayla Thornton, over 30 minutes a game. And that's even after Saitu Sabli comes back. That's af- even after Tira McCowan, who's only playing 8.4 minutes a game, comes back. McCowan is actually playing less than a Watt Queer right now. What do you make of all this? I mean, I guess I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, I imagine like at some point Harrison and Thornton's numbers each are going to probably come down a little bit as, you know, they're supplanted in the starting lineup by Satu Sabali. Like, I don't think Sabali is going to continue coming off the bench for the remainder of the season. You know, she might be the best player on the team. It would be silly to bring her off the bench. But I think, you know, it, it's just whether it's Harrison and Thornton or, or Queer or, or any of these players, like you just are encouraged that she's sort of found a rotation and she's not continuing to play every single player, you know, nine minutes a game or something like she did the first couple games of this year. And, and of course, all of last year, I think McCowan playing only eight and a half minutes per game is the most surprising to me because well, for a couple of reasons, she's a very traditional type of player, right? Big body, great rebounder, draws a lot of fouls. Like to me, she kind of struck me as a Vicky Johnson type player who, you know, I haven't really viewed Vicky Johnson as like the most modern of a coach, although more so this year than last year, for sure. But she kind of has those like clear defined strengths and uh, well, let's sure. say strengths as a player in a way like a lot queer or Charlie Collier don't at this point. And they made the move to go get her. Like they traded, uh, they moved down two picks from four and six to seven. And a lot of that was probably just not wanting to make two picks, I guess. But, you know, you gave up a lottery pick to go, you know, give up, I mean, to go get Tierra McCowan and, and then she's not really playing. I think it's a little bit surprising. Yeah, that's surprising for sure. And, and you're right. That's that's what I was going to say about her clearly defined strengths, whereas Queer and Collier are still kind of mystery boxes. Oh, I think Queer has improved maybe a little bit. Um, McCowan does give you that that traditional center type of big. You know, one, one thing that they do, have been doing, they've defending post-ups well. They've been defending post-ups very well. Second. But rim defense, I believe they're 11th. 
So that's kind of an interesting dichotomy there. You know, both Harrison and Thornton, kind of an undersized front court, right? But they've actually been defending post-ups pretty well. So maybe that's part of the reason for no McCowan. I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff at a wall here. Well, and they're able to kind of be effective on the offensive glass without her. You know, they're they're still yeah. third in offensive rebounding with her playing pretty limited minutes. And was that a timer? Right. Well, that was probably the that quickest timer. five okay. minutes has felt. <laughs> let's, let's move on to the Indiana Fever. Okay, three and seven. They are tied, uh, three-way tie for a bottom four offense, and they are ninth in defense. But this team is pretty fun. This team is very fun. I'm very pleasantly surprised. They're playing much faster than they have recently. They are second in pace, and they're fourth in transition frequency. That was higher uh, when we were supposed to this show a couple weeks ago. But uh, still, I, I think a noticeable difference. And I, I can't help but think that this rookie class that they invested so much in is just injecting them with new life. Well, most of their rookie class, at least. Um, most of them, yeah. That, that starts, I think, with Nelissa Smith, who has, um, I mean, at this point, probably been like the third most impressive of the top three picks, but still extremely, extremely impressive. Like, if you're a Fever fan, you're probably uh, not too disappointed that Nelissa Smith is on your team. Very, very exciting so far. 57% shooting in the restricted area and has found her three-point shot a little bit more of late as well. She started the season one for eight and is uh, six for her last nine attempts, which is pretty nice. And she, even like seasoned WNBA defenders just have no answer for her around the rim. She's She's been uh, a monster. Four and ones already. And the other number that really jumped out to me for an Alyssa Smith, 22 transition attempts in six games, which, um, you know, they they are getting up and down the court. This front court in particular on both both Smith and Eggbo, Queen Eggbo, and maybe Emily Angsler as well, this front court is going to be able to outrun every single other front court, except for maybe like Las Vegas or something like that. That's that's one thing they've really leaned into, and I like that. You know, that's this is a team that maybe in the past they didn't really have much of an offensive identity. They have one now. It's like, like you got to book it down the court. you got to use your young legs, your athletic advantage, and really get down there, and that's something that they've been able to do. I've been pleasantly surprised with Queen Eggbo. Oh, me too. This was a player who I did not feel good about at the number 10 pick, and I like what she's brought defensively. She looks uh, mobile. She looks like she can protect the rim. She looks like she can definitely like, control the board against smaller players. You know, that Liberty game comes to mind for sure. I'm still not sure what her offensive skill is in the WNBA, but like it's not hard to kind of imagine her two or three years from now being part of a really good defense. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think... If she has one weakness, it's maybe not being strong enough to defend, you know, maybe the very strongest centers in the WNBA. She seems more like uh, she excels at help defense more than she does post defense, which is okay, right? You know, help defense is generally, you'd say, more important than post defense, than one-on-one defense, I should say. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the vision... Yeah, especially for her vision, position, I would say. Right, for her position. Right, right, right. Um, and when you couple that with someone like Emily Angstler, who is a help defense beast, I mean, we got to talk about Angstler, right? Yeah, what do we have left for time here? We've got two minutes, okay, so cool. go ahead. I mean, so I mean, I, I really liked Angster's floor game so far. I thought maybe, you know, it wasn't hard to imagine a world where it would be kind of like a pretty rough start for Angstler, um, adjusting to the pro game. The scoring has looked rough for sure, but I mean, we've already seen like every bit of the defensive flashes that we were hoping for. Do you have her uh, 20 stocks already in her 10 games in just nice. 200 minutes? So. I, I've also, you know, this is Angstler adjacent and it's an Alyssa Smith adjacent. And I'm not sure how much of this is going to carry over to Carlos Knox, but I really like how much, uh, how different of lineups this team has played so far. You know, they'll go Nelissa Smith and Egbo. They'll go uh, Nelissa Smith and Alana Smith before Smith uh, was waived earlier today as we're recording this. You know, they'll, they've played Angstler and Nelissa Smith at the four and five, something we were like weren't sure if we would see kind of until later in their careers. So... And those lineups are, you know, they're they're really, really fun because they can they're a little bit more modern offensively and Angstler is such a defensive playmaker that even if they're kind of getting killed in, in certain areas, you know, they're giving up a lot of rebounds or something like that, you know, you're you're making up for it in, in some ways and uh, causing a lot of turnovers and you know, the physicality and the speed of the game for Angstler, I think, is an area that just needs to kind of catch up a little bit and she's she's definitely having trouble defending without fouling. The finishing and the shot, uh, you know, only four for 18 from three. Uh, we've definitely seen some kind of angstler s misses around the basket and stuff like that. But, I mean, you uh, another pick where you just have to be really encouraged 10 games into the season about how she's played so far. Six seconds left. Kelsey Mitchell, 19 points per game, 42.3% three-point percentage. We love to see it. Okay, Las Vegas Aces time. Whew, what a basketball team. 
I mean, geez, eight and one, first in offense, fifth in defense. This team to me is kind of like inching closer and closer to like 2019 mystics like far and away favorites come playoff time i think just like the inevitability of it all exactly and their starting five is just such a machine before saturday's game they played 151 minutes which was far and away the most by a single lineup 116 offensive rating 91.4 defensive rating Uh, i don't imagine those numbers were too skewed in the negative direction after Saturday because I feel like those five player lineups did really well against Chicago. Uh, sorry to say, Eric, but um, <laughs> but you know, in in some ways, like the shooting is going to come back down to earth a little bit, right? They were before Saturday again. Jackie Young, Chelsea Gray, and Kelsey Plum were combining for forty seven and a half percent from three. Uh, Teresa Plaisance was shooting forty three percent from three. So these are not players that I mean no one really shoots like 50% from three so uh, you you imagine it's going to kind of come back down to earth a little bit which it kind of did against Chicago unfortunately Chicago came down to earth even more than the Aces did so Aces won the game Um, but yeah I mean this team there's there's one word I want to throw out there that I think has maybe been I don't want to say misinterpreted but there's it's pace right they're still playing at this fast pace um, but it just seems different because they're they're just playing so much more downhill Um, they've got Several perimeter players who can get into the paint and finish. They've got several perimeter players who can hit jump shots. They've got several perimeter players who can create shots for others. I mean, this offense is just a juggernaut right now. And one name we need to mention is Jackie Young. She has come out of absolutely nowhere, shooting better than 50% from the field. Better than f- She's shooting 48.1% from three-point range. Steven, where did this come from? Well, that stuff, I think, is going to come back down to earth a little bit. As we were saying before, Like, I don't think anybody on earth is going to shoot what is it, 60% from (laughs) mid-range? So she's ranking in the 100th percentile in both medium and long-range jump shots. And this is a player who we keep saying gets played off the floor in the playoffs because she can't shoot. Yeah, a quarter of her shots at this point are coming as non-paint twos. And again, she's shooting 60%, which just, it doesn't happen. Like players don't shoot 60% uh, on that volume from that area. And they're, they're contested, right? She's uh, I mean, as contested as they can be after Jackie Young, like puts her very strong shoulder into you and, and creates her separation. But, you know, the big encouraging lasting thing or or potentially lasting thing, I think 26.8% transition frequency, That's which awesome. is just a monster number. And she's been so, so effective in transition. And that number was 15% last year, 20% in the bubble. So for a team that already got out and ran uh, to have their kind of half court liability also kind of be so effective in transition, I think is really, really propelling her success, but she's been a monster half court player as well. I think one thing we need to mention is that, you know, they're starting Dierke Hammy next to Asia Wilson now. And of course, Asia Wilson is taking a few more three pointers as you would expect, but you're really seeing like this kind of domino effect as far as spacing is concerned compared to last season. Yeah. And it's not so much as we kind of predicted it, it would be the case. It's not so much like the spacing is changing in Asia Wilson taking a bunch of threes. You know, she's she's taken some and she's taken more, 14 attempts already this year, but it's all of the spacing around Asia Wilson. Uh, and, you know, the difference between Hamby standing outside the line and Cambage standing in the paint or outside the line is just, it's really opening things up for Asia and she's getting into the paint more. She's having her most efficient season. I do wonder though, if that element will sort of shift in a playoff series you know we, we've talked about this before like are you panicking at a Dierica Hamby three and she's kind of like no. the one player on this team that really isn't hitting them for anyone that you know has taken more than 15 shots or whatever behind the arc she's that's a good point she's not shooting the ball well and I imagine you know playoff defenses are are going to say okay we're just maybe going to guard Hamby with our center and have both of those two bigs kind of bothering Asia Wilson rather than you know panicking about a, a Hamby corner three you know, I think that's part of what got the sky back into the game when they were uh, trying to come back against the Aces the other day is that, you know, they were just ignoring Hamby in the corner and she wasn't able to make them pay. But we've got 20 seconds. I just want to outline what the Aces are still good at. Um, first in the WNBA in turnover rate. First in the WNBA defensive rebounding. First in the WNBA pace. Second in the WNBA in opposing free throw rate. Fourth in their own free throw rate. So that took a little bit of a hit, but... They're still good at what made them great last year. It's just like they've taken this next level and really look like the best team in the WNBA right now. Okay, that was our buzzer. Uh, well, what, one on more note. Um, okay. You know, it's just amazing what can happen when you start all of your best players. 
<laughs> we are we are we are very for starting your players that give you the best chance to win basketball games. Okay, L.A. Sparks. The Sparks are four and six so far this season. Miraculously, I did not believe this when I saw it. They are fourth in offense. Uh, they are also tenth in defense for a team that That's I think weird. clearly like wanted to be a better defense than an offense when you kind of considered the the lineups they were running out to start the season. Well, the lineups that they're running out, but they did make several offensive leaning moves in the offseason, though. They did. Uh, and Katie Lou Samuelson was not available um, to start the season, but Kennedy Carter coming off the bench for Jordan Canada, you kind of thought that was more of a defensive That's true. minded move. Playing Brittany Sykes, huge minutes. That's kind of obviously geared for your uh, your defense, but. I think the offensive number being fourth is buoyed a little bit by three recent games against bottom four defenses in Indiana, Phoenix, and Minnesota. So I think both of those numbers, the fourth in offense and 10th in defense, are probably going to come back to, to earth a little bit. I don't think they're you know the third worst defense in the league. But I guess to the reason I don't buy their offense is this team just runs out some no-hope offensive lineups. Like Jordan Canada and Brittany Sykes have played 178 minutes together so far this season. And the Sparks have a 96.7 offensive rating with the, when those two share the floor. Like most of their minutes when those two players are available, they're playing together. And and that's not a number that you're going to say, okay, that's going to regress positively either. Like those two players are not as great offensively as they are defensively. And like typically those two players are playing alongside Neka Gumake, Lexi Brown, and Liz Cambage. So those are three individually, you just name those names. Those are three, you know, positive offensive players. But that as a unit... You know, you have one really respected three-point shooter in that lineup in Lexi Brown, who's shooting over 50% and having a, a just an amazing start to the season. She's been great. Um, but, you know, NECA is shooting the ball really well, but teams are not panicking to close out on NECA Gumake if, if she's shooting a three. And, you know, even if you were devoting a lot of attention to NECA behind the arc, that still leaves you with Liz Cambage and Brittany Suggs and Jordan Canada, like <laughs> three non-shooters instead of four non-shooters. And Canada and Sykes are... Three for 26 combined from three this year. And this team is just taking like a ton of, ton of long twos. One thing I wanted to ask you is why is Brittany Sykes doing so much initiating on this team? Because Jordan Canada currently out with a short-term injury, but with both her and Kennedy Carter on this team, you would think you have enough guards that really need the ball in their hands to be doing this with a wing. Well, one thing I want to ask you is why is Brittany Sykes doing so much initiating? So neither oh, okay. of us have any idea why Brittany Sykes is doing so much initiating. Um, I mean, I guess like, you know, you kind of want to just get the players who are eventually going to be making the plays in a better position to uh, to kind of, you know, initiate whatever set you're going to run, whether that's kind of Canada or Carter, you know, coming up from a screen off the ball or something like that. But yeah, she just, you know, I don't think of her really as, obviously she's a very inefficient scorer. She's uh, having a tough go of it from mid-range and from three. She's having a, a tough go of it in the paint, you know, outside of getting in transition. I don't think of her, though, as like a value-added passer as a wing or even like an above-average kind of small forward passer. Do you see her that way? No, not at all. Not at all. And, and it's not just a matter of, for me, it's not just a matter of, okay, it's either Carter or uh, Canada doing the initiating. It's you know, get the ball to Neku Gumake in the post, get the ball to Liz Cambage in the post. Like the, the offensive hierarchy of, you know, Brittany Sykes trying to create shots off the dribble is so far down there. It's I'm, I'm wondering why that's it's such a thing in this offense. Yeah. And I think it'll, uh, it's typically leading to poor results when, when Sykes is very involved. And as I was kind of alluding to before, she is taking almost half of her attempts from long to where she's shooting 31%. Canada, uh, 26 attempts, from long to 31%. So those are kind of their two primary ball handlers. This team like runs their offense through when Kennedy Carter's not in the game, who in her own right is, uh, you know, shoots a fair amount of long twos She'll as well. Take a lot of long twos as but, well. But, you know, yeah. she's at 15 minutes a game essentially this season. So as this team has, what do we have for time? We've got 29 seconds. Okay. Well, what do you think about their, their rotation and sort of where they've kind of landed with their starters? It doesn't seem like it seems like it shifts on a game to game basis. Like Katie Lou Samuelson has had some pretty good games. She's had some not so good games. It almost seems like she's being used as a situational type of player, which I mean, as her, her primary strength is shooting outside jump shots. So I understand that. But I think they need to lean a little bit more into outside shooting. It's tough when you don't really have like a stretch big. But I think they need to play Lexi Brown more. I think they need to play Samuelson more. And that's okay. probably their their best path to a good offense. Uh, let's move on to the Minnesota Lynx here. 
They are 2-7 and seven so far, been quite the disappointment for the Lynx. They are 7th in offense and up to 11th in defense. They were uh, last for a while there. And even though it's a little bit outdated, we should probably still kind of start with the turnover, the roster turnover here, right? Okay, so they waived Crystal Dangerfield and Leisha Clarendon prior to the season to sign Odyssey Sims. Um, they waived Odyssey Sims after three games. They bought out Angel McCautry after three games. It's just, how are you? And then they... Um, I'm sorry, we should have mentioned this for Dallas, but the Wings bought out Mariah Jefferson, then the Lynx signed Mariah Jefferson. So much turnover, particularly in the areas of, you know, like we said, players initiating offense. So it's not really a mystery to me why the Lynx are struggling like this. It's just it's just very strange to see these this commotion of this huge amount of activity, like while you're still getting settled into the season. Yeah, and with regards to their kind of struggling offense, I think as Ariel Powers struggles, so struggles the Minnesota Lynx. Uh, Powers is 42% true shooting this season on a team high 28% usage in just a role that is like way overtaxed for the type of player that Ariel Powers is, I think. You know, I agree. Uh, it's one thing for Powers to kind of put up such a high usage if she was sort of coming off the bench and more of like her her Washington Mystics role as, you know, kind of keeping the second unit afloat with some with some tough shots and, uh, you know, sort of a microwave score. But that's a lot different than kind of being the lead initiator on the starting, you know, the first unit offense. And she's just not going to be able to kind of get the type of high efficiency shots for herself and for her teammates. And Powers is, is a good player with a very valuable skill set, but not in the role that she's kind of currently being used. I think one thing we need to mention when we're talking about this offense is they aren't getting out in transition either. Well, I mean, a lot of that I imagine is because they're not getting stops. Um, but who also are true. you know also who true. are their their dynamite transition players really? You know, I I don't really kind of think of anyone that they are playing heavy minute. You know, Mariah Jefferson probably could and should be that in in some way. But um, you know, Caleb McBride is is a good transition player that Allie Quigley and, you know, Shakina Strickland used to be, but she's not going to kind of like run the ball. You know, she's not running the break with the ball in her hands or, or leading the break. I should say. You would think that powers would be able to get on transition a little bit because of her athleticism, but her transition numbers have been horrible. Yeah. She has a huge uh, turnover rate in transition, 31% turnover in transition and shooting 33% in transition. Uh, she's in the eighth percentile. Rachel Bannum is over seven in transition. Another kind of like shooting specialist here. So, I mean, a lot of this comes down to sort of sunk cost and, you know, roster decisions before the season started that that shouldn't have been made. But I do imagine, you know, kind of with Jefferson in the fold, she's she's not better than Clarendon. She is maybe kind of in the same neighborhood as Dangerfield, maybe a little bit better because she's just not as small. But she's, you know, going to come into this situation and has come into this situation, you know, knowing that she's the starting point guard. She's already playing kind of way differently than she played in Dallas in terms of her aggressiveness and being able to get to the line. I think that confidence has, has helped her a lot. Um, and she's, you know, she's just a better option than than Sims and Yvonne Turner and kind of the areas that matter, whether she's, you know, better than Lasia Clarendon or not. Like Clarendon's gone, you know what I'm saying? So bringing yeah. in Jefferson is probably the best this team could hope for. I think Jefferson's play has been kind of one of the few bright spots of this Lynx season thus far. Like, I didn't think she still had this in her, but, you know, it, it really goes to show, like, the, the fit, how a fit how, how, how the fit within an offense can matter when you're a, a guard who, you know, prefers to have the ball in their hands versus one who plays off the ball. In Dallas, you didn't see any of this. It was pretty clear whose show that was down there. Jefferson was kind of on the outside looking in there. Now she's got the ball in her hands. She can make plays. She can still initiate some offense. They just, it was pretty obvious the Lynx, at least to me, we're just searching for veteran competence. And as, lo as low as that bar is, Jefferson brought that in a way that their previous tries just were not doing. So, you know, where are you on the panic meter in terms of this team missing the playoffs? Can they bounce back from this? I mean, yeah, they can bounce back, but I'm pretty close to panicking, honestly. I'd say about a 7 or an 8 out of 10. Um, one, because I have no idea if or when Nafisa Collier or Demiris Dondas will be back. So, like, where is the improvement coming from? And also, like, looking at how, how many times this roster has been upended already makes you wonder if the playoffs are even a priority. Like, look at this team. You've got Jessica Shepard, Mariah Jefferson, players like that playing this many minutes. It just screams holdover until 2023 to me. How about you? Yeah, I think, it, like, if you just took the Cheryl Reeve of it all out of this, like, how many rosters in the WNBA do you think this is a better roster than? Like, Not many. Not many at all. Not so many. I, I would... 
I feel pretty good that they're not going to make the playoffs. Okay, speaking of bad rosters, the New York Liberty. The New York Liberty are 1-7. They are the worst offense in the league by far, nearly 8 points worse per 100 possessions than the 11th ranked offense. They're 8th in defense, which is uh, an improvement from last year, believe it or not. (laughs) They are uh, struggling shooting the ball, for sure. They are 2nd in 3-point attempt rate and last in 3-point percentage. So the ball has not been finding the bottom of the net very often for the New York Liberty. Okay, and a lot of what they've struggled at, you know, we hate to say we told you so because we're not those type of people, but um, they're not really doing what we, I mean, we expected them to struggle at uh, not turning the ball over, and they've turned the ball over a lot. They aren't really getting much in the paint. It's not really getting the free throw line. It's like, what is this team actually good at? I mean, what their calling card was, you know, prior, I guess, to to this start was shooting the basketball. You know, you were they were going to kind of live and die by having, you know, winning the games where they shot 40% from three, which is, was pretty much their story last year, you know, but this season they're, you know, they're 12th in catch and shoot shooting percentage and just about all the players that you would kind of expect to do okay shooting, you know, haven't really been that good, quite frankly. Like, you know, Sabrina, her shooting has come down from the start of the season. She's back to 32.5% like she was last year. Sammy Whitcomb, I think a pretty darn good shooter, um, 25% on the second most attempts on the team. Rebecca Allen is shooting 26%. So, you know, you're just, they're, they're shooting specialists in particular, you know, and, and you're getting even a pretty good shooting season from Natasha Howard at 38.5% from three on over four attempts per game. You know, she's never shot that well before, and, and this team is still really, really struggling from behind the arc. They're also not getting out in transition, 11th in frequency. They are also turning it over in Wait, transition. Wait, but Eric, I thought Sandy Brundell said they wanted to run more, play with better yeah. pace. Every coach says that. I got, literally every coach will say that in the preseason. Um, whatever pace means to you, they are not playing with it. Um, and they are also turning the ball over 21.4% in transition. So that's that's just an inexcusable number. Which is, you know, a lot better than last year when they were uh, yeah, right. comfortably in the 30s. So I guess, I guess maybe that one game where they turned the ball over, was it 32 times against Connecticut? Maybe skewing it a little bit. Yeah, we are still in the so. season where like one anomalous statistical game in any category can sure. kind of really drive your overall season numbers. But sure. Um, but yeah, I, you know, this team is, is this the worst team in basketball, do you think? I mean, if they're not, they've got to be close. It's got to be between them and Minnesota right now, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I guess, yeah, Phoenix is probably... Just has the, too, the, yeah. the star power to be better than both of those teams. You know, you probably have three players on Phoenix who you feel better about being the best player in a game over anyone in New York, right? Speaking of which, uh, Benajelani has missed a lot of time, which is unfortunate. I, I think it probably would have been a little better with her, um, but just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about Natasha Howard a little bit who has she's been coming around a bit offensively again driven largely by like I was saying kind of over her head three-point shooting 38 and a half percent as I was saying before prior to this season she was a 32 percent three-point shooter dating back to her first season in Seattle when she kind of really started taking them and, and hitting them at any sort of frequency and it gets even worse if you go back further than that but that's kind of you know when she was really a, a starting level player here and you know they just brought her in to play a role that she's never been successful in offensively and to top that off like she just looks completely cooked defensively she's just not the same defensive playmaker that she was um she's not obviously playing with the same defensive talent that allows her to roam so freely and kind of have the rest of the players make up for her gambling as much and you know kind of going for the steal and going for the stocks and stuff like that but it's been it's been tough she does not really look like an effective player at this point Okay, we only have 23 seconds. Uh, Stephanie Dolson has not been that good. Michaela Onyanwere has not been that good. Not really sure what her role is. Hanju has been interesting. Um, I think there's something there, right? Is it time to start Han over Steph Dolson, you think, Eric? I mean, why not? Why not? Yeah, I've liked you, her touch. You're trying to miss the playoffs this season anyway, right? I mean, yeah, you might as Aaliyah well. Aaliyah Liberty? Whatever. <laughs> okay, um, that's, that's a good segue. Okay. okay. Uh, Phoenix Mercury. Yeah, this team sucks too. Um, okay, they yeah. are two and six. Their two wins this season have come against the Storm without Brianna Stewart. They are tied for a bottom four offense with Indiana and Seattle. 
and they are the worst defense in the WNBA. And Eric, it's kind of hard to see that changing considerably with the talent that this team has. It really is because you just don't have any good defensive players outside of Brianna Turner, obviously, but she's not going to take a this bad of a defense and, and make it even competent, right? It, it seems like to me, um, this almost seems like the Mercury of, was it early last season or early in 2020 or something like that, when it was just so obvious there was no communication and no trust on defense out there? I mean, they're giving up backdoor after backdoor. They're giving up so many open layups, so many open three-pointers. It's just, they're just like bleeding points out there so often. Yeah, and they have kind of this star core really that's just built through none of them are good defenders it's not that none of them are good defenders two of them at least in tarasi and charles are actively negative defensive players skylar diggins smith can at least kind of guard the point of attack but is also a bad team defender and you know the offense i think just hasn't been that impressive either that will probably come around a little bit right because all these players are just shooting miserable from three they're they're sort of big four so to speak of of Diggins Smith, Tarasi, DeShields, and Charles are shooting a combined 30% on 140 attempts from three. And none of those players are even cracking 32% individually. So at some point, shots are going to start falling. But, you know, Tina Charles has kind of reverted to the player we saw in Westchester for two years. It, It has not been good for Charles. Which by by that, you mean just a very inefficient player who needs to be better for her position. Yeah, 48% true shooting, 43% from two, which, you know, for a starting center, that is, that's really tough, man. That's really like, bad. That, that's not good. She's pretty much taking a quarter of her shots from sort of every basic distance, you know, 23 shots in the restricted area, 28 shots in the paint non-restricted, 26 on non-paint twos, and then 27 shots from three. And, and she's just not hitting her threes, um, as we mentioned, which was sort of kind of the booing effect of her better efficient season last year and you know before the season I kind of thought there was like a small chance that Charles and Turner could be a better fit than Turner and Brittany Griner because Charles like can be a little bit more perimeter oriented she's not as sort of like back to the baskety as Griner is but it, it hasn't worked out that way for a few reasons one Charles is just not as good as Brittany Griner like there's, there's a huge gap no, no, in, no. in terms of who those players are offensively. The last time we saw Brittany Griner, she was the best offensive player in the league. But Charles is also just not the passer that Griner is, particularly like from the low block uh, where Charles is kind of getting a lot of her action this season, passing out of double teams. You know, one of the reasons I think Turner, Brianna Turner's low usage is, is the way it is is because Charles is just not able to sort of pass over those low block double teams to find Turner kind of by herself on the other side of the rim. That's a good point. In the way that, you know, you're just not able to contest that. And Charles just isn't the same type of passer. You know, She's probably a little bit better of a passer, you know, from the perimeter kind of top of the key. But in this, in this specific sort of uh, configuration where, where you have Brie Turner and she kind of hangs out in this spot a lot of times, like Charles just can't make those passes. And it's sort of, um, you know, eating away at Turner's very, very makeable attempts right in front of the rim by yourself. When, with Brittany Griner in the lineup, they wanted you to double Brittany Griner because you knew you'd get a, an open layup for Brianna Turner or an open three-pointer for somebody else. With Tina Charles, teams are effectively double-teaming her. You know what I mean? I think I think there's a difference between double-teaming because you don't want that player to take the shot and double-teaming because you know that player is going to make a bad decision with the basketball, right? Yeah, and I think Griner is just, uh, you know, we, we hope Griner returns safely, obviously, as yes. soon as possible, and yes, have absolutely. no expectations for her to play in the WNBA this season. Obviously, that's like the, the least priority. But as a basketball player, right, she's just much more like patient and poised, kind of facing those double teams and kind of, like you're saying, anticipating it to be able to find an open teammate. And she can also just score over them a lot more effectively than, than Charles can. So, All right, uh, 23 seconds left. One thing I wanted to say is that I think this team's functional depth is lacking. Of course, the key and nurse injury hurts. They've been without, you know, Shea Petty for a few games. But, you know, like Christina Nagway, Megan Gustafson, what are these players bringing to this lineup? You know, how is this team excelling when they have the bench unit on the floor? It's it's not pretty. It's not pretty. I, You know, the spots sort of like 8 through 11 or whatever are, are pretty rough for this team. Okay. Moving on to the Seattle Storm. The Storm. They are 5-3, and three, uh, notably 5-1 and one with Brianna Stewart available. I think that's worth pointing out. Shocker. They are a bottom four offense right now, which is a shocker, I think. Um, yeah, that's, that's weird. But they are third in defense, and that 
bottom four offense driven by being the second worst two-point shooting percentage team in the league, Eric. That's interesting because you'd think with Stewart and Lloyd, you know, those are two of the best offensive players in the league. But I think, you know, Lloyd in particular has gotten off to a rough start offensively. Yeah, below 40% from two for Lloyd. And I think a lot of that was, um, you know, those two games where she was overtaxed with Brianna Stewart. But even those minutes, like the Stewart-Lloyd combo only has a 97.7 offensive rating together. And that is considerably lower than seasons past. Yeah. But, you know, the elephant in the room in terms of kind of driving down efficient offense, Gabby Williams has been a problem offensively for this team. What is this true shooting? 35% true shooting? That's not good. Yeah, miraculously low for a veteran player. 31% from three, 28% shooting for two for an athletic player like Gabby Williams shooting under 30% from two-point range. That's uh, not, no, that's not good. Um, they are playing major minutes with Gabby Williams. Uh, so she is more, kind of more of like the fifth option, more of a play finisher. She's not really sort of been tasked with that second unit creator role. Like that's kind of been more Steph Talbot. And I think honestly, Steph Talbot is probably more capable in that role than Gabby Williams is, but she's also more capable in this role as sort of the fifth closer. So for, with all that being said, also only four free throw attempts and 51 shooting possessions for Gabby Williams. Again, for a player with her strength and athleticism is you got to get to the rim more often. You got to get to the rim more often. She has been a monster defensive playmaker. And I think kind of opened things up a lot for them with her defensive activity and athleticism. Um, The Lynx game earlier this year when Seattle, I think was kind of catching some heat for fronting the post against falls. Uh, this is just kind of one example, but you know, with most other options, I, I don't think that would work, but Gabby can just cover so much ground coming from the corner where, you know, she can get in between the offensive player and the rim by the time the pass is actually kind of completed and, and falls. You're almost and inviting that kind of pass. Yeah, exactly. And she'll, she'll just sort of force a turnover um, or can kind of contest with her, her good hands. But you know, I, I just don't think it kind of makes up for enough for what she kind of takes off the table offensively. Well, I think one thing the Storm team has definitely been good at is just making plays on defense. They're first in steals per 100 possessions. They are first in blocks per 100 possessions. Gabby Williams, obviously a big part of that. Brianna Stewart, obviously a big part of it. Let's give a shout out to Ezie Magbiger real quick because she's been pressed into many more minutes than expected with Mercedes Russell still being injured. What have you seen from Ezie? I mean... I, I feel like I'm kind of getting lower and lower on Ezzy Magbuger as a starting player than That's interesting. the consensus. I mean, to me, she's just she's not good enough for this role if this team has kind of real championship aspirations. Like maybe she can get there one day, but she's she's not a good enough finisher around the rim. Um I think her decision making, the lack of strength, the fact that she sort of stands behind the arc but isn't actually guarded behind the arc so she's not even kind of like in the sort of dunker spot where she can finish plays from two if she's not really spacing the floor from three you know she's just kind of standing out there and inviting her to not be guarded she's 0 for 8 from three but still you know the eight is almost worse than the O. I think because she's just not really kind of letting it fly when she's not being guarded you know her her mobility is great but I, I think she's not so elite defensively particularly kind of guarding other bigs uh and again just like the offense it's it's a long way to go to be kind of a starting level player on a championship team okay so would you say that these defensive playmaking numbers are maybe i don't want to say smoke and mirrors but do you think they are overrepresentative of the type of player magbiger is no i think she can make plays defensively uh i think she can also just kind of get put into the goal a little bit and you know if you have let's say four stocks in a game that means you've made four good plays defensively that, that doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that you know you are deterring at the rim I, do you think opposing players are kind of afraid to attack as he at the no rim? and that's that's kind of what i was getting at there by, by saying over misrepresenting that that might have been a, a poor choice of words on my part but the the this the stocks aren't really uh translating to you know actual rim protection if you will is it time to be concerned about sue bird uh, well, it's time to move on, but me, yes, honestly, seeing as how, I mean, last season, her shot just fell off a cliff in the second half. She was very clearly just tired legs, and this season, she's starting with tired legs, so mm, I don't know. Are you concerned? I am concerned. The The three-point shot has honestly kind of been there a little bit, but you need more than, you know, 8% shooting from two-point range. Yeah, yeah that's you definitely do. Okay. Final team, Washington Mystics. This is maybe the team I was 
most anticipating talking about with you, okay, Eric. All right. uh, they are sixth and three, fifth in offense, and fourth in defense. There are a lot of places to start. Where do you want to start? Uh, first thing I think we need to start with is that Elena Deladon has looked pretty good. I mean, she's clearly more healthy than she was last season, right? Yeah, she. I mean, she does not look like all the way Elena Deladon, but she looks... Laterally, she's a little slow. She's a little slow. I feel like even kind of like, you know, her paint numbers are good, but, but the in-between game, the touch on some of that is just not as automatic as I think it, it once was. Um, but she's, I mean... She's she's at 60% true shooting, man. She's she's hitting her threes. She's been a monster at the restricted uh, in the restricted area and it's just it's really really tough to kind of cleanly contest her looks. As Let me a, put it this way. Let me put it this way. It, she is what they need her to be in order to be a contending team. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And you know, like you said, she's maybe a little bit slower laterally, but the elevation on her shot looks as good as ever. Her footwork looks as good as ever. And she's well, still... Offensively, I don't really think it matters. Yeah. Either. She's still long enough and uh, has a good enough defensive floor game that she's going to be in their best defensive lineup because of all the things that she does on that. And even if she's like a little bit slow guarding quicker players. Okay. Next player I think we need to talk about, uh, rapidly becoming one of my favorite players in the league, rookie Shakira Austin. Yeah, man. She's been awesome. I did not expect her to be such a smooth play finisher. Her touch around the basket has been so, so impressive. Um, You know, she can get into a little bit of trouble, I think, when she's getting thirsty, kind of creating her own offense. Uh, But she she doesn't need to do that for this team. And she's she's done so well moving without the basketball, finishing on the move, relatively low usage. And I think, you know, I thought it was maybe going to be kind of rough early on defensively but you know she's she's like kind of a positive contributor already defensively she makes a ton of plays whether it's you know blocking shots uh kind of digging down and and forcing turnovers she she was i mean i i can't say enough about how impressed i've been for her you know this early into her season mike tebow has to be absolutely over overjoyed that the player he traded down for which is you know not drafting ryan howard um, has looked this good this early. I think on both ends of the ball, really, Austin just provides a different level of juice than than players like Elizabeth Williams or Maisha Hines Allen do. It almost kind of gives me uh, shades of 2019 with with what Latoya Sanders did. Granted, not to that extent defending in the perimeter, but just the playmaking, the moving and finishing out the basketball, really, really, really good complementary role for her. There was this sequence, uh, I guess it wasn't a sequence, but in the first half against Chicago last weekend, she forced a turnover in the pick and roll. She reached in on a driver and helped defense and stripped it away. She blocked Ezra Stevens in transition. Like, uh, And they're pl- I think what helps in kind of her technique is they're playing her really aggressively in the pick and roll, which I think kind of takes some pressure off away. Like if they were going to play her in a drop and she kind of had to play two on two or at the level of the ball or something like that, just allowing her to kind of play to her strengths and use her, her hands and length and athleticism to make plays rather than kind of playing, you know, like a late Deladon will play pick and roll, which is a little bit more conventional. Sure. Okay. Heinz Allen, I think has been, what do we have for time here? Oh, uh, we've got a minute. Okay. Um, where do you see this closing five ending up at the end of the season? Against I think, a you, need to start Del- I, I think you need to start Deladon and Austin. I, I don't think Heinz uh, Allen is really going to be giving you much, honestly, because what is she giving you that isn't better used between Deladon and Austin on either end of the floor, really? Yeah, it's been a struggle for Heinz Allen from two. I don't imagine she's going to shoot 35% from two all season long. Um, if her, sh- I mean, I can just see a world where they need that smaller lineup to be effective as the playoffs go on. And because the players around Elena Deladon and we love Ariel Atkins and we love Natasha cloud, but they don't really have like the most kind of dynamic offensive players outside of Deladon. So to kind of make up for that and be able to play more five out might be beneficial, but you know, at the end of the day, I think Austin might just be the best option for their fifth closer already. You know, I, I have to wonder if optimizing Elena Deladon wasn't one of the primary criteria for Mike Tebow making that draft day trade. Can, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Cause I have three seconds, but yes. Um, I, I think, well, this is the last team anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Um, I think Austin is just, well, let's, first things first, they've invested a lot in Maisha Heinz-Allen moving forward, but defensively, she's just not a great fit next to Deladon. We saw that the first couple games of the season, right? When they were starting Heinz Allen. And, 
you know, I mean, I, I think with all we've talked about with Austin, both on offense, moving without the ball and finishing uh, at the rim, and then defensively just doing covering so much ground and making so many plays uh, on the basketball, those are just things that Heinz Allen cannot do. Yeah, and Obviously, I mean, I guess like, is your kind of offensive ecosystem worse if you are playing four out nominally with one excellent finisher than if you're playing five out with someone who can't really, who isn't really providing efficient offense from that last spot? Well, I guess you'd have to ask yourself, is Heinz Allen going to regress positively? And I think she will. I mean, I, I agree. She's not going to be shooting 35% from two-point range for the whole season. But uh, like I said, Austin, she just provides a different look than most of the players on this roster. And there are going to be situations in which she's going to be a much more valuable player than Heinz Allen is. All right, man. That was really fun. That was really fun. Okay, one, one more thing. Uh, Kennedy Burke rules, and Seattle shouldn't have let her go. Yeah, good thing they have that uh, third center to play eight yeah, minutes it's, a game it's been, it's been working that every well. WNBA team needs. All right. Okay. Well, it was good to be back. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can do so by following, rating, and reviewing on Apple Spotify and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at Double Down WNBA. You can follow Eric at Nemchok E or myself at Trinkwald. And Eric, it was good to be back, man. Good to be back. We will see you all uh, very soon. Promise it won't be as much as long of a break as last time. Take care and uh, and, and stay healthy.